I'm blessed to be here with you guys this evening. I'm really excited to open the word with you. And I'm so glad we ended on that note with that Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Because I really do feel like the Lord has some neat things for us tonight. He's laid some things on my heart that I hope to communicate to you. Um, in case you don't know who I am, so some of you guys know who I am. For those of you who don't, my name is Andrew Krause. I'm the junior high pastor. So I've been serving here for about five years and three years um, on staff now full time. Um, I'm married. I have two beautiful little boys. Uh, one's about two and a half years old. The other one is now nine months old. So my oldest is, is at the terrible twos or on the verge of going into the horrific threes, I guess. Um, I'm, I'm told the threes are worse, so please pray for me. Um, and, and then the nine-month-old, my, my little dude Levi, um, is defending his brother Judah to the absolute death, even though he's only nine months old. So Judah's got this little stubborn personality. And, I mean, he's just, praise God for him. His name means praise. And Judah will just give me this lip, and then I'll be like, hey, don't talk back to me. Don't tell Daddy no, because he loves the word no. He still loves that word. Um, even a year ago, he loved that word. And now, now Levi... Um, after I, you know, correct my son and gently rebuke him lovingly, Levi will come over and look at me and go, ah! And I'm like, don't you talk back to me. And I point my little finger at my son. He bit me the last time I did that. <laughs> and he's just now cutting teeth. So my little nine-month-old is just like, he's got these two legs, just enough to like, and, I, and my wife, I mean, she about died laughing because nine-month-old gets the best of dad. Um, uh, so that's, that's pretty much what you need to know about me. I, I I uh, have a strong desire for the things of the Lord, and I really do um, pray that the Lord uses this time to minister to you guys. So would you bow your heads with me, and let's just give this time to the Lord um, tonight. Father, we just thank you for this night, Lord. We want to pause and once again come into your presence. We want to lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us, every presupposition that we might have walked in with and truly expect you to speak to us in a new and fresh way tonight. Father, would you use me tonight to communicate the things that are on your heart? Would you author my thoughts and my speech? Lord, would you set me aside? Will we be submitted to your Holy Spirit tonight? Would he have free reign in this place? Holy Spirit, would you lead us and guide us into all truth? We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Um, if you have your Bibles, open with me to the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea. I've been in this book for almost a month now in my personal devotional time. And I feel like the Lord just hasn't uh, let me leave it and for good reason. If I'm honest, if I had it my way, I would have probably just stood up here, read through the entire book of Hosea and had the worship team come back up and and that would have been the message. Um, because it's such an incredible, incredible book. And, and really the Lord's um, allowed me to look at life a little differently over the last month as I've been reading through this book, as it's become more practical, more living and, and active in my life. And if you're taking notes or, or you're a note taker and you give title to, titles to messages, um, I would label this one, A God Who Redeems or The Beauty of Redemption. Something along those lines. Redemption is a term that I believe many of us have probably heard at one time or another, especially if you come to this church on a regular basis. And the more I understand of it, the more, uh, the more it makes sense to me, the more it really does start to bring me to tears every single time I hear it. 
To redeem means to buy out, to be ransomed, to be released, to cause the freedom or release of a person from bondage or ownership, often implying a delivering or a rescue of a person in distress. So a little bit of the background of the book of Hosea, if you're familiar with it, then you know it well, but it's a story of redemption, of redeeming love, the redeeming love of God, and not to just anyone, but to specifically the most unlikely of people. Israel has turned their back on God. And, and, and the story is a, a story of redemption, of God desiring to redeem those who are seeking love and satisfaction in all the wrong places. And where we're headed tonight, I believe that there might be a variety of emotions that you experience. And so that's a, that's a forewarning. Some may be joyful when they hear tonight's message. Others may feel some regret and brokenness in the midst of it, but that's not the note we're going to close on. Some may have walked in here with anxiousness and hopelessness in your heart or in your mind. In church family, I have to tell you, we live in a broken world. There are many of you who have experienced deep hurts, deep regrets. You have deep longings. And you may find yourself feeling broken, alone, or hopeless tonight. But I believe that the Holy Spirit has something special for us tonight, if you're willing to hear what he has to say. No matter your past, no matter your current situation, there's a God in heaven who redeems. Amen? As we begin, I, I want to give you a few key highlights. We're going we're gonna to cruise through chapters 1 through 4, but really we're focusing on chapter 3. So I'm going to highlight something from chapter 1, something from chapter 2, a portion of chapter 4, because I want to paint the picture of how, how amazing this story is. So beginning in verse 1 of the book of Hosea, chapter 1, it says this, The word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Barai, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. And in the day of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak to Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. So the book opens up with God commanding Hosea to go take a wife of harlotry, literally to go marry a prostitute. Now, if you think about that in our current culture, that's not a, that would not be a common thing. In Jewish society, that would be unthinkable. So why would God do this? Why would God tell him to go and marry a prostitute? I'll tell you. God had Hosea marry Gomer, his prostitute, to illustrate how God's people had been unfaithful to him and yet how he desired to redeem or buy back even that which was broken. As I've been meditating on this chapter, specifically chapter one, oh yeah, this is my gallon, everyone. It stays with me wherever I go. And I, they put the water bottle here. It's just so, 
So chickish. No. Um, I'm sorry. As I've been meditating on this chapter, it's, it's really become, I mean, in a personal way, evident to me that we live in the midst of a generation that's full of adultery. In, and I, what I mean by that is that in love with everything and anything but the one and true living God of the Bible. Not just talking about adultery or infidelity in marriage. Departing from the Lord at a very rapid pace. And the sad thing is, is it's not just outside the walls of our church. This is the children of Israel in this story. God's chosen people, those who are supposed to be the people of God and who should have known and loved God more deeply than anyone else. And much like in the days of Hosea, there's wanderings taking place. As we highlight some of the things tonight, I would ask that you do one thing as we go through this text. I want you to put yourself in the story. I want you to, every single time God speaks through Hosea to Israel, place yourself and realize that we are supposed to be the children of God. We are the children of God, church. And so we need to evaluate and consider our own lives, what our appropriate response is when we hear the word of the Lord. Hosea chapter 2 kind of continues on, and it goes something like this. Hosea goes, he marries Gomer, and becomes the father of her children, loves her, yet she becomes discontent with her husband. Although she's being loved, and specifically loved out of prostitution, the most unlikely of people to be loved, she comes to a place where she desired to return to her old life instead of remaining loyal to Hosea. So she leaves him. Now, when I read this, my mind, it blows my mind. How could she do this, right? How could she do this to somebody who would love her in such a great way? How could Israel, God's people, turn their back on God and walk away from such love, such selfless, humble love, a love that would overlook every past Deed, every wicked action, every compromise, every broken aspect of life. How could you walk away from that? Look at chapter 2. And you see the picture of the word of the Lord being declared against Israel. It says, beginning in verse 2 of chapter 2, Bring charges against your mother. Bring charges, for she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. Let her put away her harlotries from her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. Lest I strip her naked and expose her as the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. I will not have mercy on her children, for they are children of harlotry. For their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has behaved shamefully. And here's what she says. For she said, I will go after my lovers. I will go to those who will give me bread and water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Literally, God is up in heaven witnessing the adulterous heart of those who are supposed to be his people. 
in relationship with him. And they're saying, I will go after that which satisfies me. That which I believe will satisfy me. Because we know that obviously those things cannot ultimately satisfy. My bread and my water, the physical fulfillments of life. Give me my food, give me my drink. That which makes me feel physically satisfied. Relationships, that's a huge one. Secret relationships. I've heard too many stories even in the last month of secret relationships that end up in broken marriages and infidelity and adultery. That coworker at work, that, that woman who's just a, she's just a coworker, it's not that big of a deal. That guy at work. Church, we might be fooling ourselves, but we're not fooling God. My wool and my linen. Give me protection. That will make me feel satisfied. The comforts of life, job security, a nice house, a new car, the newest clothes, the latest technology. None of these things inherently bad, but they can't satisfy. My oil and my drink, the pleasures of life. Whatever makes me happy, right? Sinful pleasures that society condones and says it's not that big of a deal. Drugs, drunkenness, pornography, sexual immorality of any kind. As a church, we need to go off the words of Christ. He looks and he says, hey, if you've looked at a woman in your heart and you've lusted after her, you've committed adultery. Now, many of us know these things can't ultimately satisfy. The bread and the water, the wool and the linen, the oil and drink. But how easily do they become the object of our affections? And slowly but surely, we find ourselves prostituting our lives before them and turning to them at every turn. Discontentment and dissatisfaction drive this woman, an illustration of Israel, to leave her husband. Let me ask you a question I ask myself. What state do I find myself tonight? Where is my heart tonight? Am I content in the Lord? Or do I believe that, I'm, that something else can satisfy greater? That I need to go after something else that will satisfy me? Whatever this world has to offer. It makes me feel good. I'm, I'm reading this. I'm, I'm looking at Gomer leaving Hosea. And I'm like, my only conclusion is this. Is this woman does not see the depths of this love yet. She has not truly experienced how profound a privilege she's received to be called out of darkness and into light. Could the same thing be said about us or you tonight? Church, do you recognize the weight of your salvation this evening? How profound the love of God is to call us out of darkness and into marvelous light, as Peter declares. Listen to this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says this. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. 
You who were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. My prayer for us tonight is that our salvation becomes so amazingly profound tonight that we begin to maybe even reorient our hearts and our minds towards a greater intimacy and worship of God because we've been redeemed. Chapter 4 in the book of Hosea really shows how bad things got. We just went from chapter 2, we skipped chapter 3, and now we're in chapter 4. But you're tracking with me. Sadly, things got so bad that those who were supposed to be in spiritual leadership had gone astray in their hearts and in their minds. Here's Hosea speaking to the children of Israel and calling them out on their sin and their lies for forsaking the truth. Verse 1 in chapter 4 says this, Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing, and committing adultery, they, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Therefore the land will mourn, and everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Even the fish of the sea will be taken away. Now let no man contend or rebuke another, for your people are like those who contend with the priest. Therefore you shall stumble in that day, and the prophet shall also stumble with you in the night, and I will destroy your mother." Israel is going astray from the truth. There's no knowledge of God in the land, and the consequences are serious. Listen to verse 6. If you've got a highlighter, highlight, underline, do something with this, because this verse is really profound. It says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will forget your children. Broken spiritual leadership. When there's no healthy spiritual leadership, destruction is imminent. When spiritual leadership is void, destruction is imminent. And we just saw in Peter that's not just talking about the pastor or the pastors of this church. I do believe that pastors should be sitting in the hottest seat and every time they hear the word of God preached or they get up to preach the word of God, man, they better be checking their hearts. But it's each of us. As we've been bought and brought into a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus, 1 Peter 2.5. Things were getting bad. Things got very bad in Israel. Verse 7 continues and says this, The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. 
I will change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people. They set their hearts on iniquity, and it shall be like people, like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. Every time I read verse 9, I get really queasy. Like legitimately sick to my stomach, queasy, because it says, like people, like priests. And it makes me check my heart. Lord, where am I at? Where am I at in my relationship with you? Are there things that I'm not being completely honest about in my relationship with you? Have I gone after other things? Is my heart longing for something to be satisfied in something else rather than you? I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. I don't know what the reward is, but if my heart's going after something else other than God, I'm sure it's not good. Verse 10, for they shall eat but not have enough. They shall commit harlotry but not increase because they have ceased obeying the Lord. Harlotry and wine and new wine enslave the heart. Oh my gosh. So many young people I talk to on such a regular basis have their hearts enslaved by so many things. Popularity, video games, the peer pressures of life. For adults, money, success, relationships. I, I mean, you name it. There's things that enslave our hearts. And if our heart has been redeemed, which means to be set free, to have the chains broken, that means you're no longer enslaved or you're no longer bound to that thing that once tied you down, but now you've been set free to live in Christ. It says, my people ask counsel from wooden idols and their staff informs them for the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray and they have played the harlot against their God. Spiritual harlotry or spiritual adultery. Adultery and harlotry are not just found in action, but in the heart. Can we be real with ourselves tonight? Is there spiritual harlotry in your life tonight? Have you been longing for something besides the Lord to give you satisfaction? This spirit of harlotry is centered around a lie. A lie that much like a harlot says, this is my nature. It's my lot in life to wander. When in reality, it's a lie that you've chosen to believe or begin to live. That God would have you to be set free from. That you are set free from in Christ. Can I ask you this tonight? What is the biggest lie in your life tonight? Between you and God, what is the biggest lie in your life tonight? You can fool everyone else in this room. I can fool everyone else in this room. But I'm sure that there is something, something that you might even be lying to yourself about tonight. God sees and knows He's longing to redeem that hidden area of your life. Israel's harlotry drove them to compromise in their worship of God. Look at verse 13. It says, 
They offer sacrifices on mountaintops, under oaks and poplars and terebinths, because their shade is good, because your daughters commit adultery and your brides commit adultery. So here's what they're doing. They're now prostituting and loving other things than God on the hills and the mountaintops and under the shades of the oaks, the poplars, and the terebinths. An example being set for their children, leading them into the brokenness of the absence of God. And this is, if you know anything historically about Israel or about, about the Bible, this is significant. The terebinth tree was the, the meeting place of the Lord, where the Lord revealed himself, a place of worship. Literally, it's the very place that God met Abraham and promises salvation. Abraham, you're going to have a son. He's going to carry on the family lineage. And in, in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed because out of that lineage comes Jesus Christ, the terebinth tree. And here's Israel saying, the sacredness of our salvation, the area where God would speak to me, the presence of God, I'm going to exchange that for the intimacy of idolatry. Taking the things of God and exchanging them for that which is worthless. And it impacts everyone. Specifically the children and the daughters of purity. Now they're learning it's okay to love something else in place of God. Oh, that we would restore the sacredness of meeting with God in our families that our children may learn to serve and love him. Do you meet with your family on a regular basis? Do you talk about the things of God? Are you teaching your children what it looks like to properly worship the Lord, to have a heart that longs for the things of him? This was personally, this is personally challenging to me. I know my kids are young, but my wife and I were talking about it actually this afternoon and just saying, man, we have these two little disciples that we just, the Lord has blessed us with and, and we desire to make sure that they know the love of God. Are we being faithful to that? Verse 14, I will not punish your daughters when they commit adultery, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go apart with harlots and offer sacrifices and rituals to har with ritual harlots. Therefore, people who do not understand will be trampled. So specifically, this is a gut check to the men in the church. The men of Israel made for themselves other lovers other than God, and as the head of the household goes, so goes the family. As the head of the household goes, so goes the family. God looks down and he says, your daughters are in adultery. They're in harlotry. They're learning bad habits. They're prostituting themselves amongst the nations. But I'm not even going to deal with them right now. They're learning it from dad. Chapters 4 and 5 pretty much continue along this line where God is telling Hosea to speak out against the harlotry and the sin of Israel. But that's not, I, I, 
that's not my heart. I don't want to just continue to talk about how bad things got. I want to paint the picture to you of redemption. Here's how bad things are in Israel. Here's what people are going after. Here's what people are in love with. I mean, it is, it is basically as vile as it comes. And yet God looks down and he wants to redeem. Turn to chapter 3. This is what we're going to see tonight. We are going to see that we are redeemed unto love that we're redeemed unto relationship and we are redeemed unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed, church. Chapter three, verse one says this, then the Lord said to me, go again and love a woman who is loved by a lover and is present tense committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. Love her, he says. Love her in all her brokenness and all her hurt and all her confusion. Love her. And in case you don't see the picture yet, church, this is us. God looks down from heaven. He, he sends his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And he says, son, love her. Love her. Give yourself for her. No matter the price, go and acquire her that she might know that I love her. If that doesn't overwhelm your heart in some way tonight, I don't know what will. We've been redeemed unto love. through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Bought at a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, not by silver or gold or any other perishable thing, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, we've been redeemed. Verse two says, so I bought her for myself, for 15 shekels of silver, and for one and a half homers of barley. He says, I bought her for myself. Church, we've been redeemed unto love, a love that was willing to do whatever it takes to buy back that which was broken and lost. And this is what God says, I desire her for myself and no one else but me. Do you realize that, that would, that's what you've been redeemed unto? That's what love looks like? No one else but that, which has re but that which has redeemed you. He who has redeemed you. We've been redeemed unto love and unto relationship. Look at verse 3. It says, I said to her, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So to you, so too I will be towards you. 
The price has been paid. We've been bought at a price, redeemed unto relationship, and a relationship that looks different from what we've known in the past. One of commitment. One of faithfulness. One of loyalty. This is how you are to be with me, he says, and this is how I will promise be towards you. Do you see it now? Do you see the beginnings of the weight of redemption? Has it hit you yet? Redeemed unto relationship, pulled out of darkness. God can buy back anything that's broken. The most unlikely of person, the most unlikely of situation, the most dark, despicable corner of your heart and your mind. And he says, don't go after anything else. I'm right here. I want you for me. I will be faithful to you. I've paid it all. I paid the price. The chapter ends with a very important aspect of redemption, being redeemed unto lordship. For the children of Israel shall abide, this is verse 4, many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. Afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Once we've experienced this kind of love, our heart and our lives can only have one reasonable response. Lordship. Placing God back in his proper place because we've experienced the profound impact of redeeming love. Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life tonight? Does he sit on the throne of your heart? Is he the Lord of all? Or are there areas that you're still lying to yourself and saying, yeah, he's Lord, but he's really not? The Lord's been searching me very deeply in the last month, month and a half. And there, I mean, I'm just being broken down in so many ways. And it's been difficult, yet beautiful and alleviating to feel the weight of those chains that I probably bear being broken off of me as I surrender things to the Lord is the best feeling I could possibly have. To stand up here with a clear conscience saying, Lord, I believe everything's under your Lordship. I'm sure there's something that isn't yet, but man, would you please reveal that to me? When we see love in action, I personally believe it's one of the most powerful things you could ever experience. It changes you forever. I recently went to um, my good friend Ryan's wedding. I have to tell you, it was absolutely amazing. It was one of the most beautiful weddings I've ever been to. 
And when you see the, again, when you see the depths of love in action, it can truly change your perspective on something forever. And then here, here's just a, give me a moment to give an illustration or a short story. I remember at the wedding, Ryan's standing at the altar and he's waiting for his bride to come. And he has, I mean, just so much love, so much joy, so much excitement. There's anxiety and anxiousness there. And he's just waiting. And then comes over the PA system across the field, because it was out in this open field, that song, A Thousand Years. You guys have probably heard that one before. I mean, it's, they don't get much better than that. It's a pretty, pretty great song. And I'm sure it was, it was very appropriate, because that's probably exactly how Ryan felt. And we're just, we're there, we're looking and we're waiting. And Brittany's across the field and, and there's these big oak doors that lead into the field and they're shut. And you just, you hear the song come over the radio and you're just, you turn and you look and there's the doors and you're just waiting for the bride to come. And it's just, the song's playing. And when it gets to that super climactic point in the song, all of a sudden the doors open. Whew. Microphone. And in comes walking this beautiful bride down towards her husband. And now I was once in Ryan's shoes. So I looked right at Ryan as soon as, as soon as the, the, I saw her. I'm like, oh my gosh. I looked at him, made sure he was still standing upright. <laughs> he had tears in his eyes. Which were immovably fixed. His eyes were just fixed on his bride. It was absolutely incredible. And every time I hear a version of that song now, it doesn't matter if it's instrumental or the vocal version of it, it brings me back to that moment, literally. I'm waiting for the doors to open and waiting for Brittany to come right through in this beautiful white dress. And I'm waiting, I'm waiting for love to be put into its overwhelmingly proper place. When you experience love in action, it can truly change the perspective of something forever. So why the story? Because I believe that should be our appropriate response to what God has done for us. Every single time we hear the word redeemed, it should bring us back to that moment of awe and beauty at the love of a God who stands waiting eagerly for his bride. Son, go and buy that for me. Whatever the price, whatever it costs, I love that. And wherever you're at tonight, I believe that God, with tears in his eyes, is longing for you to know his redeeming love. And if you're, if you're in the midst of that man, he desires for you to know in such a more intimate way than when you first walked in. I'm experiencing it in a whole new way as I've been going through this book devotionally than I ever have. I'm beginning to look at life differently as I talk to people. I'm wondering what aspect of their life does God desire to redeem today? 
What aspect did they walk in not knowing that God had the power to buy back that part of their life and he has something special planned because he's a God who redeems. Am I living with redemption in mind? That's a question, a closing question and application. Are we living with our redemption in mind tonight? Turn to Titus chapter 2 with me. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14. Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous, passionate for good works. I am redeemed. Am I living in it? Am I living in the weight of my redemption? As I was brushing my teeth this morning, I know, (laughs) segue. As I was brushing my teeth this morning, I was praying about tonight and I was like, Lord, I don't know what to say. I don't even know if I'm on the right track. And I felt like he just literally, I'm like, Lord, maybe I'm just going to stand up there and draw a blank. And all of a sudden you're going to like magically give me the scripture and I'm going to just teach out of that instead. And, but as I was brushing my teeth, he just, he popped into my, it's like Psalm 51.8. I'm like, oh, Psalm 51.8. It's a familiar Psalm, Psalm 51. Why does that sound so familiar? I really want to close with these verses tonight, and we have, we're going to have the worship team come back up. We're going to close in a time of communion tonight. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to Psalm chapter 51. And I, I believe that these two things can go hand in hand very beautifully tonight. As we take communion, I would encourage us to Use this as a chance to humbly take a chance to remember our redemption. To worship our God in a new way tonight. To do business with the Lord if there's something he's put a finger on in an area of your life. Psalm 51 beginning in verse 8 says this. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. There's an area in your life the Lord's put his finger on. Would that be the cry of your heart tonight as you take communion, as you do business with the Lord, as we end in worship? And this is the most beautiful thing. This is something that I'm constantly asking God in verse 12. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Remind me of my redemption. Restore unto me how awesome it is that I've been saved and bought at a price. Remind me. Uphold me by your generous spirit, Lord. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your redeeming love. We ask that you would continue to overwhelm our hearts with the beauty of your redemption, of our redemption tonight and every day. Lord, would you show us how to live it out in our lives practically? Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We thank you. We give you freedom to reign in our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.